history tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 25th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And today we're going to be bringing you Rockwood Mansion, which you can find in Wilmington, Delaware. So we're going far north where New England is getting slammed by all kinds of snow. And for those who are listening, maybe in the future, this is in the year 2015. Yeah, that big old blizzard of 2015. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let that flake hit you. I'm going to (laughs) run. Now, I know Massachusetts got hit pretty bad, but watching CNN and the guys all stand around in New York with a couple flakes falling and the streets are plowed behind them and maybe there's three inches of snow. We hail from Denver, Colorado originally and we're like, really? Of <laughs> That's course. not a blizzard. The flakes might have not been falling, but they were standing in front of the microphones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor things. Hey, you were making a comment as you were looking here at Rockwood Mansion for the first time. Oh, it is absolutely gorgeous. It's very, very pretty. And there is a picture on our webpage. So if you want to go see it, it's an absolutely beautiful place. Indeed. And before we get into telling everybody about the history and, of course, the The hauntings, hauntings. (laughs) we do want to cover a couple of things. First of all, as you all know, we've had our first contest here at the History Goes Bump podcast. And so we put the names in the hat. And it was really good odds for everybody because... Going between whoever had signed up for the newsletter or joined the Spooktacular Crew group page, group page, there were only 11 names in the hat. So odds were really good. And our big winner was Pete Price. (laughs) So we will hook up with uh, Pete and find out if he is interested in getting himself a t-shirt or a mug. And then we'll get that sent out to him. And, of course, we'll have more contests in the future, but a lot of that depends upon if we start bringing in a little bit of uh, money to help with our overhead here. We're definitely going to start having more contests if we start getting a certain amount of money each month. And, of course, we do have the buttons all over at the website, which you can check out at historygoesbump.com. You just go to the Spooktacular Crew tab, and on there we've got all the different places that you can go to either donate via PayPal or Patreon. And you can also check out our archives of past shows. The last 10 shows that we've done are up on the homepage. We've also got an events page, which we will be starting to fill up here pretty soon because we're getting ready to plan out our road trip that we're going to be taking in May. And we're going to be going to a lot of different states. So hopefully for any of you that are in those states, you might be able to uh, hang out with us in some of the ghost tours that we're going to do along the way. We'd love to have you join us. Also there, you can find out everywhere that you can listen in to the show and where you can find us on all the different places on social media. And of course, the blog can be found there as well. And I just want to take a moment right now and just really thank Diane because she is so proactive of getting everything up on all those social media sites. So I'm a bit technologically challenged, not a bit, a lot. And so I just really want to give her kudos for keeping you all informed via all of our social networks. So thank you so much, Diane. Well, thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. And uh, I love doing it. That's how I'm an introvert. So doing the social media thing is my favorite way of being social. I, I go to parties and I'm a wallflower. 
put me on the computer and I'm great. Yep. And I'm an introvert too. <laughs> or not. Lying <laughs> hey, if feet. we have any people who want to communicate with us, you know, send us some feedback or anything of that nature, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And if they want to give us any reviews, they could go to either Stitcher or iTunes. And we would greatly appreciate those. Once we get our first, our next uh, couple reviews, I'll probably have a heart attack because we keep asking for them and nobody does it. So if somebody actually does heed our uh, begging, <laughs> I'll be so excited that we actually got some reviews. Yeah, so if anybody wants to get Diane to wet her pants, go over and give a review and I will be laughing hysterically. Yeah, she'll come home with a bag of Depends for me. I have them waiting in the car. And also, we will get some more information out. If you are following us on any of the social media, and we'll also send it out in the newsletter, we will be doing an interview with the Ninth Story podcast. We're looking forward to that. So when we get that all set up and recorded and ready to go out, we'll make sure that you guys have access to that. Should be a lot of fun. Dan's a great guy over there at Ninth Story Podcast. It's going to be fantastic just to be able to spend some time talking. talking about stories. Stories. That's what Dan does. He's a writer and he's a fabulous storyteller. He's got a great voice. So we're looking forward to that. And my main thing is uh, watching how you react to hanging out with Victoria. The creepy little girl. Victoria was in our last show. She'll be in this one as well. Uh, that's Victoria. And she's, yeah, just a little creepy. She's a good kid, but a little creepy. Okay. Well, we have a nephew like that, so that's good. <laughs> we love our creepy nephew. All right. Well, let's get started with this show. <laughs> like to support the show please visit our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com Stories of a haunting male figure that has been dubbed the Gray Man are told all along the eastern seaboard. The apparition has been named for its nondescript appearance. The man is reported to wear almost colorless clothes that are drab. Sightings of the Gray Man seem to coincide with hurricanes. The legend of Gray Man claims that if a person sees the Gray Man before a hurricane hits, they and their property will be protected from any harm or damage. The gray man sometimes actually appears to people and warns them verbally. Appearances of gray man go back nearly 200 years. One of the earliest sightings was in 1822 near Polly's Island in South Carolina. Before the Sea Islands hurricane in 1893, the gray man appeared to a family and warned them that a hurricane was coming. A newlywed couple by the name of Collins were sleeping soundly in October of 1954 when a loud knocking awoke them in the pre-dawn hours. A man dressed in all gray clothing, with a gray, wide-brimmed hat pulled down low over his face, was at the door, and he told the couple they needed to leave, which they did after he completely disappeared right before their eyes. Hurricane Hazel struck soon after. The gray man was seen by another couple in 1989, and they knew they needed to leave because they'd heard of the legend. No one is sure why the gray man appears to certain people. Would people miss out on protection if they did not heed the warnings of gray man? No one can be certain, but a nondescript specter that predicts weather and danger better than forecasters 
certainly is odd. Turn out the lights. The party's just getting started. This day in history. On this day in history, February 2nd, in 1653, the New Amsterdam settlement receives municipal rights, making it an official city. New Amsterdam was established on the southern tip of Manhattan Island by a group of Dutch settlers in the 17th century. The entire area was considered the New Netherland Territory, and New Amsterdam became the seat of the government. Fort Amsterdam had been built outside of the settlement and was established in order to protect the Dutch West India Company's fur trade. The fur trade was flourishing along the Hudson River, which had been named for English explorer Henry Hudson, who had been employed by the Dutch West India Company. The beaver pelts were highly prized in Europe for the manufacture of waterproof hats. The Dutch West India Company was feeling threatened by English interests and felt a need to protect the mouth of the Hudson, and thus Fort Amsterdam was built. Around 270 people lived in the settlement. August of 1664 brought a big change for New Amsterdam. The English and Dutch were at peace, but this did not stop a group of English frigates from demanding the surrender of New Netherlands. The settlement surrendered, but the move sparked the Second Anglo-Dutch War. In June of 1665, New Amsterdam was renamed in honor of King James II, the Duke of York. This is why today we call New Amsterdam by its new name, New York City. Delaware is one of America's original 13 colonies. Well, 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 wait, wait, wait. What were you doing before we started recording the show? I was going back to my childhood, but I don't think I will haunt our people with that. Denise was singing a song that she learned in school about the 13 original colonies. Just give us a taste, because I, I never sang this song. You didn't sing 50 Nifty United States? No. Yes, you did. I don't ever remember doing that in school. Oh, you deprived child. Yeah, it must have been before my time. Yeah, youngin. <laughs> well, give us just a couple lines. You don't have to sing it, but well, do you goes, have the one that goes for Delaware? Well, they do all the states alphabetically because it goes 50 nifty United States from the 13 original colonies. Oh, okay. And then it goes all alphabetical. You go through every state. And w- what was Delaware's? You don't remember? Well, no. Delaware is just li- it's like Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, oh, California, Colorado, oh, so it doesn't Connecticut. Have like a line about each state. No, it just it just talks about fifty nifty United States from the thirteen original colonies. Okay, that was a real stretch for them to write the lyrics for that song. Well, they needed fifty states, so <laughs> <laughs> I could write a song like that. <laughs> Let's see. What should I sing okay, about? Okay, so first she wants me to bring up the song, and then she makes fun of my song that I learned when I was a child. Now, this is your song, so you get royalties every time a school child sings it then. Yeah, honey. We should be rich. 
we are. Didn't you know that? (laughs) You've been holding out on me. All right, I will let you go ahead and get into this. Okay. Delaware is one of America's original 13 colonies, and the state's roots in American history are deep. The city of Wilmington is not only its largest city today, but Wilmington is also the first city established in the state in an area that was once the settlement for the Lenape tribe. Wilmington is home to a mansion that is situated off of Marsh Road that is formerly called the Rockwood Mansion. The mansion is old and beautiful, but it is also something else, haunted. This home is considered the most haunted house museum in the state of Delaware. The city of Wilmington is located on the site where Fort Christina was built in the 1600s. The fort was originally a Swedish colony, and the area was settled because of several rivers that all come together nearby. The land had once been home to the Lenape tribe, led by Chief Matterhorn, and the New Sweden Company bought the land from him in order to build their fort. And just another little piece of trivia for those people out there. He also sold the land for Manhattan Island as well. Oh, okay. He owned that as well. The Lenape tribe would later be driven west after the American Revolution, as were a lot of tribes at that time. They were all forced to go west. And, of course, there was also smallpox that took out a large percentage of their population. The Swedish ruled this area until 1655 when the Dutch came in and took over and many of the people became Quakers. You know what is the distinctive thing about Quakers? They have oats. (laughs) (laughs) I love it when you grow off script. (laughs) They're peaceful people. But I bet when they hear that (laughs) joke, pun, whatever you want to call it, they'd be throwing oats at you and so much for their peaceful nature. I was just honoring them. It's the number one oats in the United States of America. Do you really think that Quakers get any money for Quaker oats? Yes. (laughs) The British would later establish their authority and occupied the area until 1778 when British troops vacated America after the American Revolution. We told those redcoats to get the hell out of town. Wilmington would surge forward in growth during the Civil War because it was home to the manufacture of gunpowder, carriages, and iron ships, and also because it remained mostly neutral during the war, supporting both the Union and the Confederacy. Joseph Shipley was born in 1795 in Wilmington, Delaware, to Joseph and Mary Levi Shipley. The Shipley family owned flour mills along the Brandywine River. The milling business was not for Joseph, and after school he went into finance. In 1823, Joseph moved to Liverpool, England, where he would become a successful merchant banker, running his own firm and also joining with two other firms already established in England. In 1846, Shipley rented an estate called Wincote that had vast gardens on the property. Joseph's nephew would write after a visit to Wincote, quote, Wincote is in the beautiful order, elegantly and neatly furnished, and the grounds and lawns are such as I never saw in America. The painting of it at Brandywine, the family home in Wilmington, gives a good idea of the house, but the softness of the verdure cannot be painted, end quote. It would be the time spent on this lush property that would influence Joseph in his design of Rockwood Mansion. Joseph decided it was time to retire because bouts of gout were plaguing him. Bouts of gout. And you know why he got that? He was drinking and eating too much. Gout did not affect poor people. It was rich people who got that. Oh. That's uh, Benjamin Franklin suffered from that horribly. That's why they had to carry him in to most of the meetings when they were doing the Constitution. They had to carry him in because he couldn't walk from so much gout. Oh, well, it explains why you and I have never had it. <laughs> yeah, we don't have steak and uh, beer every night. No, nope, just steak. Every night? Once a week or so. Never mind. 
How are you eating steak once a week? I'm not getting steak once a week. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) There's that money that supposedly you're making off of royalties, too. He sent his niece and nephew to look about Wilmington for some suitable land, and in 1851, he purchased nearly 400 acres of farmland that sat up on a hill overlooking Wilmington. This was a piece of property that Joseph had been watching since he was a child. He just loved this area. And they paid the farmer who lived on that property more than the land was worth because he wanted it so bad and the farmer knew it. Because of his time spent in London, Shipley had become very English in his taste, and so he hired an English architect, George Williams, who had designed Wincote, and an English gardener to help him design his home and the beautiful gardens that would become a part of the landscape. English style was very naturalistic when it came to gardening, and Joseph followed those rules. Some people may not be aware that English rules also meant that a garden was to be a private affair. While we in America are typically used to the front area of homes being the showplace, the English had their gardens visible only to those invited to the home to tour the garden. Rockwood Mansion was built from 1851 to 1854 in the style of rural Gothic revival architecture, and the property included stables, a coach house, and a kitchen garden. As for the grounds, Joseph spared no expense. He placed orders for over 1,200 trees and shrubs. Several of those trees are still on the property to this day. The mansion itself has 20 rooms, and Joseph decorated those rooms in the Victorian style with blue silk damask for the curtains and upholstery, rosewood furniture, and the conservatory was described as stunning. Walls were painted in muted tones rather than using wallpaper. Rockwood had the most modern conveniences of the time that included central heating, bathrooms, servant buzzer box, and boilers, and the farming equipment was all modern as well. People remarked that it was as if Joseph had picked up an English estate, sailed it across the ocean, and planted it in Delaware. The only American touch was a piazza he added to the southern end of the home. The Gardener's Monthly wrote of Rockwood Mansion in 1861, quote, The magnificent place constructed and occupied by Joseph Shipley Esquire, whose name is well known in the commercial world, commenced. Ten years ago, after plans made in England and under the direction of Mr. Salisbury, a gardener whom he'd brought out for that purpose, the entire place is improved upon the plan of natural landscape gardening so much employed in English country places. We will say that it is the most splendid specimen of the English park-like style of landscape work that we have ever seen. We feel quite sure that there is nothing of the kind equal to it in its peculiar style." Joseph died in 1867, and his estate passed on to his sisters, Hannah and Sarah. The sisters only used the estate as a summer retreat, and although Joseph's servants had stayed on to look after the place, it was not well kept. The property went up for auction in 1892 after Hannah died, and Joseph's niece, Sarah Brinkhurst, who had helped him locate and buy the land, bought most of Rockwood. She then passed it on to her son, Edward Brinkhurst, Jr., Edward's daughter Mary inherited the property, and she lived there until her death at the age of 100. Mary passed the property on to her niece, Nancy Sellers Hargrave, who donated Rockwood to Newcastle County in 1973. Newcastle County restored the property in 1999, which included the gardener's cottage, porter's lodge, and the barn and carriage house, which was converted into a banquet and catering facility. Rockwood is now a museum that can be toured Wednesday through Sunday. Rockwood Park that surrounds the estate is free to tour. The home is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. There are not just garden and mansion tours at the museum. Ghost tours are also offered because the family members who loved this home 
and lived and died here have been reluctant to leave. Employees at the museum claim to have seen full-bodied apparitions. Philip Nord, who is the director at Rockwood, claims that he saw a male figure sitting in a seat in the tea room one evening when he was doing the rounds before locking up the museum. He asked the man to leave as he felt a chill run up his spine. He glanced away, and when he looked back, the specter was gone. The room that had belonged to Mary Bringhurst, the daughter who had lived to be 100, is considered the most haunted in the mansion. She does not like people in her room. Psychics say that the energy in the room is so strong that they are reluctant to enter. People have felt ill or passed out in the room. Mary spent the last five years of her life on the main floor in the butler's room because she had become blind and crippled and could no longer manage the stairs. She has felt in that room as well. Photographs have captured a strange human-shaped mist of what is thought to be Mary, both in a hunched and crippled position and also appearing as a younger Mary. Mary's younger brother, Edward, has had a lot of activity occur in his bedroom. A child has been heard giggling near the stairway, and footsteps have been heard on the stairs as well. A paranormal investigator caught a picture of what looks to be a little boy sitting on the stairs. A woman in a gown has been seen at the top of the stairs. Flowers and perfume are smelled inside the mansion with no direct cause for such scents. Lilac is the scent that is reported most often. And since we're talking about the stairs here, Denise, I wanted to talk a little bit about most people who have been in any of these old homes that are mansions are aware that there is a separate staircase for the servants, right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, any house and, we've And what toured. makes this staircase different than most? Well, generally, it's more narrow, and it's kind of in the back of the house. Yeah, it's like hidden away, and that's what they do with the servants' quarters as well. Usually, they were up the attic or the top floor. It was meant for servants to not be heard or seen. They were just supposed to kind of be there, but be almost like ghosts in the home. So I found it interesting. I found out that in a lot of these homes, I hadn't known this before, that the servants were required to wear soft booties so that they would not be heard creaking down the staircase. We were watching that special on PBS that one day, too, when we were flipping the channels, and we just saw the little brief clip they were doing behind the scenes of Downton Abbey, which is all the rage and stuff right now. And it was amazing to see how the servants had to go about serving and stuff. Even when they were putting stuff on people's plates and bringing things to them, they had to be unseen almost. I mean, they would dip forward and ask, do you want this or whatever? But they would do it in such a way that it was all choreographed. It would be the first guy would come in and he'd have a plate full of stuff and he'd go to the first person. And about the time that he made it to the third person at the table, in comes the next servant with the next part of the meal. And they would dip together then. And it was like, it's almost like they would be dancing down the table. And then the next servant would come in and it was the same thing. Well, it took a, it took a lot, just some of the history I know, for somebody to become a, a server or a servant within the home of like the the owners or the masters or whatever it might be. So that was, I mean, it was very, very much um, highly choreographed or, you know, I don't know if that's the right word, but everything was very specific, very precise, the training. In fact, I think that's kind of what we're going to experience when we go for our dinner in July is kind of that old style. Victorian Alberts. Yeah, Victorian Alberts. Which, um, of course, is named for the king and queen. Right. And so, and it's going to be very much, I mean, I've seen the dining room. I've never had the opportunity to dine there, but it's very elegant. It's a seven like course meal and it's very, 
very much under that that so I'm very excited for that experience of that choreographed amazing excellent service service that you just don't see everywhere anymore well and this is one of the reasons why I brought this up now rather than because we've talked about other mansions and stuff is that this was this is considered an English mansion and this guy was very very English even though he was American born he had taken on all the customs he literally brought. When he came over, he brought all of the servants that he had over there with him. So they all came with him. So what we would have, what we would see watching Downton Abbey is how this home was run as well. Exactly. So I just thought that was a fun fact since we were talking about the stairs and the noises that they would hear about people going up and down the stairs. The basement is extraordinarily creepy with cramped hallways. Women feel very uncomfortable in the basement as though they are not welcome. A photograph that is one of the most compelling we have ever seen appears to be a shadow person with black eyes towards the end of the basement. And you can um, see that picture on our show notes. Indeed. And anybody who's listened to this show for more than a couple of episodes knows that definitely myself, and I think you're pretty much the same, we are open-minded skeptics, which means we basically are pretty skeptical until we have a preponderance of evidence to prove otherwise. <laughs> so we're open to these things. And generally speaking, I do this all the time. And I actually, I saw the picture of the little boy that was taken by the paranormal investigator on the stairs, and I don't see it. It didn't look like that to me. And by the time they brought it up enough where you could kind of see, it was so pixelated, it could have been anything. But then I looked at this, and I was watching the video of this. And so I captured this picture off of the video and I can't explain that away. No, and I mean, it almost has an alien look to it. It from, does. From what, I mean, I looked yeah. at it and I'm going gray alien. Yeah, because that's what, you know, I mean, I have not encountered an alien and I don't want to tempt aliens or spirits, so no aliens. But um, but from just like kind of what we've heard of descriptions or whatever, when people have, have given their accounts, it that's almost... Rather than ghost-like, it appears almost alien-like. Well, and you and I have very eclectic beliefs when it comes to the ghosts. We've touched on it a little bit, and we definitely will touch on this more when we do our bonus cast about ghosts in the Bible. And the fact that you said that looks like an alien, I mean, I sometimes think some of these supernatural experiences that people are having could be alien in nature, that it's some kind of alien presence. You know, like when people have sleep paralysis and stuff. A lot of their stories sound the same as people who claim to have been abducted. Mm-hmm. So I'm there could be crossing over this. So it's and what's interesting is usually when you hear about a shadow person, it's generally really a shadow. And when you hear people describe it, they'll say, "Well, it was really, really black. It was like blacker than the darkness in the room." And that's how they could see the shadow. It's like they look in the corner, and when your lights are out, you still especially our, your eyes, when they get used to the darkness and depending upon what the moon is doing and how your blinds and everything are, you can still kind of see into that corner and it's more of a grayish than a black. But when people are describing a shadow person in a corner, they're like, it's this dark blackness that you just it, it absorbs all the light and nothing penetrates it. This shadow person really, I mean, it looks like it's got a lighter head, but it's... It's very interesting. And as they were describing it, it is the director there thinks it's an evil entity that's down there. We don't know what would be causing it to be there. So I don't know if there's something that was here on the land that he built upon, but it it was farmland. So, you know, I don't know why there would be something necessarily evil there, but. Well, the eyes are completely black, which I mean, 
you know, and it just, but, but it's almost like they're there, not just a shadow black. It's like black eyes. You know, and if you look at it a certain way, it almost looks like a bald Hitler too, because it has a little black under the nose where I'm assuming the mouth is. Oh, I just looked at it differently and I can see that at first I thought it was like its mouth was open, like, ah, you know, mm-hmm. like a, like an O, but now I can see if its mouth was closed. Yeah. It's just, that's a picture that I can't explain away. We'd love for you guys to check it out and either you can put your comments there on the blog or write them to us and we'll share them with everybody out there. Some feedback on that. Let us know what you think. Ghost finders investigators believe they picked up a servant boy during a ghost box session. And for people who don't know what a ghost box is, because I know we have some that, that don't know all the technical stuff when it comes to investigating. This is a box that is like a regular radio, but the little scanner thing that goes back and forth that finds the different radio stations when you're flipping it, that is just on constant movement. So it is constantly flipping through the channels like boom, 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 boom. You can set it up either on AM or FM. So it just feeds right through all the channels. And so you don't pick up anything necessarily on the channels. It's just, you know, a bunch of static and... And then... Could you do that one more time for I don't think I could. To be honest. You heard it here live, everybody. And you may never hear it again. That's Diane being an FM channel, AM channel receiver. That was a ghost box imitation for y'all. And what happens is somehow the ghosts use the energy that's in that, the frequencies, and they're able to form words with it. I've always been very hesitant when it comes to the ghost box because, again, it's going through AM and FM channels. And how do you know it's not picking up just a word here or there? They can be kind of compelling because they will be answering a question coinciding with it. So I leave it for you guys to decide. That's what we do here on the show. But that's basically what a ghost box is. And the nice thing, the reason why investigators like to use this is because you get automatic responses. Whereas if you're doing a typical EVP you're recording it and then listening to it later to see if you picked up something. This you're getting real-time audible where you can hear it as if they were actually in the room talking to you. So anyway, during one of these ghost box sessions, they picked up a servant boy and they, they knew it was something of a servant because it sounded younger and it said yes to one of their questions. Other voices were recorded asking for help. Balls of light and strange sounds are heard throughout the rest of the museum. The most bizarre claim about Rockwood is that it has a vortex above the house. A misty substance is seen above the house that occasionally reveals faces from within, and thus it's been dubbed the Vortex of Souls. And I only found this in one place, and it was this one article about that that was copied and pasted to a bunch of different websites. So I don't know the veracity of that story, if that's true. But that does lend some answers possibly to why we have maybe an evil entity. If there's a vortex somewhere, anything can come through. Exactly. So is this beautiful English estate home to more than just old furnishings and magnificent gardens? Does the family that owned this home for over 100 years still remain on the premises? Is Rockwood Mansion haunted? That is for you to decide. And we do have a couple of links up in the show notes as well if you are interested in finding out more, particularly about doing any of the regular or ghost tours at Rockwood Mansion. There's a couple of places you can check out there. I'm enticed to check out that place just to see the gardens. Oh, I would love to go see the gardens. And one of these days we want to camper up that way. So that might definitely have to go on our list of places we want to go to. And we've never been to Delaware. Nope. And I have the little mark. I have a sticker for it for our map. (laughs) Yeah, Denise has this little map that you can put the state's stickers in. 
that you put on the outside of the camper. So we look like uh, camper nerds. But hey, we're nerds yeah. all the way around. So. Usually RVers do it. So we're kind of RVers, um, our style in a pop-up <laughs> camper. But it's pretty cool. We're, we have Florida right now. And I'm looking so forward to adding like five states or more when we do our road trips. Yeah, so. that'll be fun because we're going to be going through Georgia and Kentucky and Tennessee and Illinois and Iowa and Missouri. I think we're we, gonna hit Mississippi we, we're too? not staying the night, but we get to at least drive through Indiana. So we'll get to put, oh, gosh, yeah. we'll, we have the map where we, we, where we put pins. So Indiana will get pinned, but everything else will get stickered. And I was misinformed when I was talking about Octagon Hall, and I had said that the sites that people had sent us to check out in Kentucky when we were in Louisville, that they weren't anywhere near there. Waverly Sanatorium is in Louisville. So we definitely will be checking out the outside of that, at least getting pictures, because I'm not sure how they work with the tours, because I know that I'd heard somewhere that they're converting it into a hotel. So I don't know if it'll be open for tours or not, but we'll definitely get the outside of it. Yeah, for sure, because we're staying overnight in Louisville. Yeah, this is one of those well-known places, which I usually hesitate to do really, really, really well-known places because they've been done to death, but we're going to try <laughs> to do... Done to death. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pun for you. But when we're doing the road trip, what I am foreseeing, as long as all the technology works out okay, is that we will be uploading shows maybe every single day with current stops that we've done along the way and talking a little bit about each one of those places. Right, because we're trying, we're trying to work it out to where we can take y'all on the road trip with us. Exactly. Just like little blurps every day. And so you'll be you'll be able to follow us and, and kind of road trip with us for the nine nights. Yes, because I'll have the I'll bring the other laptop with us. It's got all the programs on it and everything for recording. And it, it won't be like what you're getting here. But because uh, a lot of it we might end up doing just on a voice recorder. And um, I can bring the other mic that that plugs in the yeah. USB mic, which is not real great, but it'd that's be more like our Marietta tour. And a lot of we yeah. got a lot of positive food feedback because we recorded that on your that's phone. That's true. We driving did it on home. the phone. We did it in the car. <laughs> yep, on the phone. As a matter of fact, while I was driving. <laughs> yeah, so we'll we'll hook it up. We uh, want to make sure that you guys join us for our next show, which is going to be about Grace Dew Priory. I think that's how you say it. Uh, it's this old ruin that's over in England. Oh, very nice. So we'll be talking to you. Uh, we'll be talking about that. It's it's an interesting spot because not only does it have a lot of history there, but it also is not only haunted, but maybe sitting on ley lines. So this is like a Stonehenge kind of thing. So oh, interesting. That'd be very cool. So if, if Poppy is listening, um, I hope you're writing down all the spots that you're going to be taking us to when we eventually come across <laughs> the pond. You're going to be running us everywhere, Poppy. Yes, ma'am. We want to thank you guys for joining us for this show. I've been your host, Diane. And this is Denise. Y'all take care now. Bye-bye. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting, and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us. <laughs> <laughs>